When we think of Jesus, we think of his beatitudes. We think of his healing those who were infirmed, of his kneeling at his disciples' feet and washing them the night before his death, of breaking the bread and lifting the cup of Eucharist. We think of his relationship with God and with human beings, but we don't always think about his genius, a genius that is made most real, I think, in his parables. For his parables are acts of genius and deep understanding of truth and spirituality that are meant to literally turn us upside down and see the world in a whole new way. Soren Kierkegaard said in the 19th century that there is not a lack of information in our land today. That's plenty. Something else is missing. And what he means by that is facts and data and information does not bring us to see what Jesus is speaking about. We cannot learn it in a book directly. It comes to us from a glance. And the glance for Jesus was always these parables. Because we expect one thing to happen in them, and the next thing you know, bam, wow, where did that come from? I never saw it that way. This morning's parable may be the greatest example, for it is known as the hardest parable of all. It comes to us from the 16th chapter of Luke, verses 1 through 8, or 9, or 11, or 13, depending on which commentary you read. Hear now the word of God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this manager was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do now so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, how much do you owe? And he replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And then this 
For the children of, his, of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. You take your car in, you think you need oil changed and the tires rotated, you get a call back two hours later saying you need new belts, new hoses, you even need a new transmission and your response is, seriously? As if you can't be serious. Your 13-year-old daughter acts out, she's being insolent, and you say to her, I love you dearly, but I cannot allow you to act this way. You are now grounded for the next week. And the response you get back is, seriously? As in, you can't be serious. When we heard this parable, I suspect that was our innate response. Seriously? He can't be serious. Maybe we should unpack it a little. In a different context, a CEO of a student loan company hears through the grapevine that his COO, his finance man, has been cooking the books, and so he calls him in saying, I've heard this about you. I want all of your books at my desk tomorrow, and you now have two weeks of severance pay because you're fired. The chief operating officer was shocked. He could not say anything in his defense. Maybe he was guilty. But he knew that he couldn't do anything else. That was his gift. And once word got out that he had been fired for this, he'd never get another decent job. So he figured out what to do next. He got all the list of those who had student loans and owed the business, and he called them up individually and renegotiated their loans with them according to their particular circumstances. Some he reduced in half by 50%. All of you with student loans can privately cheer that possibility, some by 80%, in hopes that in befriending them through this effort that they, when they became successful in their businesses, might hire him at a later date. Well, what happened was not that the CEO caught wind of this and called the COO back in and raked him over the coals, But when the CEO caught wind of this, that the people who had had their debts reduced had now lifted this company up as the greatest place in the world, the CEO, in such joy and uh, and excitement, called the COO back, slapped him on the back, and said, Well done, brother. And we're supposed to go, Seriously? And not only that, he said that he was more wise than all those good financial wizards out there who are supposed to be the experts. A rich man in the parable, it doesn't say how he became rich, but in many cases, in those days, it became through the acquisition of property. 
raising the taxes and the loans. You're not supposed to loan money in Judaism, but they, they did. You raise it to the point where you create more and more dependency and tenant farmers. A rich man with plenty of land had a manager, and it was rumored that the manager was pilfering money, casting it about, calls them in, asks for the books, fires them. The manager says, I'm in trouble, I don't know what else to do, so if I go out and befriend myself with those who owe the rich man money, maybe I can find a place in their homes. And so he reduces their debt. When the manager, excuse me, the owner finds out about this, he praises the manager for being shrewd, is the word wise, And if only it had ended there, it would be a great moral tale about how we can win-win. The manager finds himself in the praises of his tenant farmers. That's a good thing. The manager probably gets commissions back from the farmers that he may have had to write off. Granted, they were less than on the books. Excuse me, that's for the uh, owner. The manager gets freedom and a pat on the back and maybe even his job back and the people in the story end up having a reduced debt. In fact, all of their debt is reduced. But that's not where the story ends. For it has this last verse that says, for the children of this age, talking about the business people, I suppose, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light, talking about the disciples or the Christians. If Jesus is saying this, is he saying that we should be more like the unjust manager and shrewdly cut deals everywhere in order to cover our back? Is he calling us to compromise with the powers of deceit and evil? Is Jesus holding this model up for us as Christians of the people of light as the correct way to live in this world? Maybe. When Bill taught this lesson in my Wednesday Bible class, the class kept hammering at him, What is the parable supposed to tell us? And if you read the commentaries on it, there are at least six, maybe eight particular takes on what this parable really means. Bill said to them, don't worry, Steve will preach it on Sunday and give you a clear (laughs) meaning. And what I just gave you was possibly... We have a hard time with possibly because mainly we are yes or no people. We live in this world of dualistic thinking about good and bad and right and wrong and yes and no and black and white. And in fact, we, most of us stop growing in that level around 14 years old of concrete thinking where black and white and good and bad is sort of the way we go. But look around and you see that in the end that caves in on itself and causes all kinds of problems. 
our good and bad and black and white ends up being I'm right and you're wrong or we're right and they're wrong or I'm good and you're bad or in some cases I'm bad and you're good. Look at the vitriol around our political season. Don't worry, I'm not taking sides. With two candidates in front of us, actually four, who most people say are not really good choices, we have been thrown into a quandary. There is no longer a good and bad opportunity. The either-or perspective is not exactly clear-cut. It is not clear anymore. So we come up with hyperbole and insults about the other candidate turning them into the good or bad because we know that we are so caught up in this ambiguity in our own Calm dissonance dissonance needs to be calmed by some way to bring order to it by objectifying the other. Whether as a liberal, the conservatives, as a conservative, the liberals, as for Trump, Hillary, as for Hillary, Trump. And it's all wrapped up in this absolute good or bad black and white way of seeing the world. And what I'm saying is that in this passage, in this parable, Jesus turns that whole way of perception upside down. What is it about us that the more information we have, that information is used mostly to make our already particular case? And that when information comes to question our particular case, we discount it as false. We live in an Orwellian world all of a sudden where right is wrong, truth is false, false is true, lies are reality, realities are lies, facts don't mean anything, and it's all turned upside down. Where do we go from here? We need some black and white. But Jesus doesn't give it to us especially in this parable, for it is full of both heroes and non-heroes. Is the rich landowner a hero? Yes. No. Is the manager a hero? Yes. No. Are the people heroes? Yes. No. Are we? Yes. No. Are we all particularly bad? No. Are we all particularly good? No. Is that person I really don't like as bad as I think he or she is? No. Is that person I hold up on a pedestal as good as I think she is? No. What is it? It is, for lack of any better term, a mess. It is messy because relationships are messy. They are never black and white. They are messy. They are folded together and held together by all kinds of strings and connections we're not even aware of. And in that process, it may look like mess on the front end, but believe it or not, it turns out looking like something 
else on the back end. It's called community. When Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's trying to get them to start seeing the world through different eyes than just either or black and white. So I'm going to end with a story. It's my own little pitiful parable. Try to write a parable sometime and you'll get a sense of how genius Jesus was. I told this parable at the RPDS chapel service about three weeks ago, so if you were there, I apologize, you're going to hear it twice. A young couple with three kids decided that they wanted to raise their children with a deep sense of kindness and respect for others and to follow the rules. And so they sat down with them and said, these are our goals for our family, respect for others, kindness, and following the rules. So on the big day that the YMCA was opening for the city of Jacksonville to see, they got in their car excitedly and drove. And finding no parking space, the father saw this little space uh, by the curb right under a no parking sign with a yellow stripe. And he figured he could squeeze in there. There was no other place to go. And when he got out of his car, his 10-year-old daughter, Jen, looked looked at him and said, Dad, do you know that that's a no parking space? And his, her father said, yeah, I do. And it, I wouldn't ordinarily park here, but it's a special day and they wouldn't mind, I'm sure, and there are no other parking places. When they made their way into the Y, they were handing out popsicles for all the visitors. These weren't your basic everyday Publix popsicles. These were gourmet popsicles like uh, great grape and cheesy cherry and all kinds of pomegranate stuff. And as they got their popsicles, they made their way up the stairs to the workout room. And as they were eating them, a Y employee walked up and said, I'm glad you're here. You must have missed the sign on the steps that said no food past this point. So would you please not eat your popsicles here? It could leave a mess and just go back to the appropriate place. And then she walked off And the mother, looking at her family, said, listen, let's just go over here behind this wall because we're almost finished our popsicles. It doesn't make a lot of sense to walk back downstairs and and nobody will see us. So they finished their popsicles and after they finished their tour of the Y, they got back in the car and uh, dad picked up his cell phone as he was driving down Riverside and started checking on his emails and his Observant daughter Jen said, Dad, you, you told us when we start driving that we're not supposed to be using our cell phones when we're, when we're in the car. Why are you doing it? Oh, well, I, I, I'm really looking forward to two emails that, I, that are urgent, and we're only going about 20 miles an hour. Uh, I know I probably shouldn't be doing this, but just for this time. I, when they got home, uh, they were listening to the radio, and there was a politician conversation going on and the parents started in on how absolutely evil that other candidate is and how they would never vote for him or her when the time came. And the kids sort of looked at their parents quizzically wondering, God, they're having a bad day. What did those children learn in that one experience? Kindness? Respect and following the rules? 
Later that night, when father and mother got ready for bed, they began to go over the day that they had had, and they saw all of a sudden what they had done and what they had shown their children, and they were mortified. So they called a family meeting the next day, sat down with their kids, and said, we are sorry. Our goal for our family is respect and kindness and following rules, and we clearly did not do that yesterday, and we need your forgiveness. Sure, Dad, Mom, they all said, we go to church and say the Lord's Prayer, and in it it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Somehow they knew life was messy, that God's mercy is from everlasting to everlasting right in the midst of the mess. Which is what we confess when we say that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh, became incarnate, and came down with us. He took on our mess. All our mess. Became mess with us. Took it all on the cross even, we say. No greater mess in history. No longer on that cross is it win-lose, good-bad, gain-loss, but now it's win-win. And this is the whole point, I think. It turns out to be a pretty shrewd thing to do. The most shrewd thing in the history of the world. 